Good morning, Sun Valley Church. Welcome back to the Voice of the Valley. I'm Jeremy Pinch, and I have Rick Whitmer across the table. He has some issues this morning that he wants to get off of his chest. So, Rick, go ahead. <laughs> what is? I don't even know what that means. I'm not. I've just got my open Bible right here. I can't think of anything. Hey, speaking of issues, um, in a good way, you make really good coffee. Hey, thank you. I uh. I picked up a bag of Pete's coffee for the family shepherd breakfast called Big Bang. And the way that Jeremy makes it is tastier than the way I make it. And I measure precisely. And he measures, but our measurements are a few ounces apart. And he just, it's a good cup of coffee. So, well done. A lot of practice, my friend. A lot of practice. When did you start drinking coffee? Um, that's a good question. I think back in high school, but I would, I would, you know, put sugar and everything into it. So I couldn't really taste the coffee. Oh, it wasn't until a camping trip that we didn't have any creamer. Which camping trip? Uh, it was with, uh, my cousin and a friend of mine. Oh, okay. And we didn't have any creamer with us. And so I had to, had to drink it black. And then once I did that, no going back. There's no going back. I've never drunk it with sugar and cream and all that. I started when I was 12 at Sick. church, Willow Glen Baptist Church. Uh, there was nothing better to do that day on the way to the service than grab a cup of coffee. <laughs> and I've never looked back. And Baptist Church coffee um, in the 90s is not... that. that let's just put it this way. Um, it's not what we're serving up here. It's not what what do they roasted serve up in there? New York? I don't know. Probably Folgers or something. Yeah. Some big box coffee that you're just like, you know, because Baptist churches aren't known for having great coffee. This is true. So this is true. I mean, maybe they are now. I don't know, but I like what we have. Yeah, yeah, we have uh, we have some pretty good coffee in the office, and I don't know what we do for Sunday mornings, but Stone Street from New York. Yeah. Stone Street. They mail it with a mask on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's already vaccinated. Uh, Even their decaf is vaccinated. They have vaccinated coffee. Um, cool. Makes you want to pray. Yes. Uh, Rick, you had quite the week last week. Um, you had the family shepherd's breakfast. You Man, that was delicious. You had the... Yes. Frankie Davis did so well Yeah. on that food and... Elisa Dove and the kitchen team. Oh, it's just so good. That's awesome. Um, so the food was great. Food the was teaching great. was, I heard, uh, okay. Um, Could have seen it be okay <laughs> if you had stuck around. <laughs> uh, no, I heard I heard the teaching was, was great. And then you also had to preach on Sunday. As, got to. Got to. As well as um, you taught Sunday's seminars. So you had you had quite the week last week. Hence the coffee. Hence the coffee. Yeah. So how are how are you doing this week? Um, little little fuzzy in the head. <laughs> we had a cool, uh, really great small group outreach though on Halloween night. Um, we had packed two hundred bags with gospel tracks and church invites and a lot of candy, and word got out and they were gone all two hundred within forty five minutes. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. And we had some coffee and uh, cider for parents, and 
And uh, just we were praying that God would use that to maybe get some families here. Cool. So awesome. So you you had the outreach on top of your uh, your busy Sunday. I slept for ten hours. <laughs> <laughs> then went to bed at midnight and didn't wake up till ten. <laughs> and then I went to a movie. It was it was worth it. Yeah, it was fun. It was worth it. God is good. Yeah. All the time. All the time. Well, I I appreciated your sermon on Sunday. Thank you. As you got into the first eight words of the Lord's Prayer. Um, yeah, it was good. Thank you. It was good. Looking forward to the whole study. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be, what, a six-month... Like, no. if you were to go, you know, back to back to back, it's, it's going to take a few Just a couple weeks. months. Yeah. Just taking one petition... At a time. Yeah. Yeah. Including the footnote in the English Standard Version, which is part of the original Lord's Prayer. Yeah. Texas. Um, what are we saying? Yeah. The Texas Receptus. Mark 16. Um, we'll have to get into that. We'll have to do a, uh, we'll have to do a podcast on the know. Texas Receptus because you've mentioned it. Do we need a, to? It no. It a, well, I think we it's need to. It's just a joke. Because you've mentioned it a few times. No, I have not. And I'm sure there's people listening that are going, what? Why I'm does sure Rick... there's exactly no people listening wondering I've... what that means. Well, I'm sitting here going, what? what is the Texas Receptus? You know. And um, it might be good for people to know what the Texas Receptus is and why you take issue with passages like... Um, Matthew chapter six and Mark sixteen, but we won't go into. What are that. you talking about? <laughs> we won't. We Here, won't. scrap this. Go back to a new recording. Yeah, <laughs> we have veered so far off the course. That usually, yeah, what I mean is you have veered so far off the course. Uh, no, is this but your first time hosting. It is. Yeah, we're gonna get into um, deeper details, I guess, of uh, the Lord's Prayer, specifically praying to our Father. So, Rick, uh, in in the passage that you preached on this week, uh, Jesus Jesus says, when you pray, pray then like this. Um, and I've been to I've been to Catholic funerals. I was one at one recently where that was the prayer, and everybody there knew it. Um, and it, you could just tell that it was a ritualistic. You know, you say the words, but they really have no meaning. Um, but when when Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this, it seems like there's little room for extemporaneous prayers. Um, can we can we diverge from the Lord's prayer? and and if so, what is what is diverging from the Lord's prayer look like? Nope, that's the only words we can pray. Okay. Good. What's your next? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and I, you know, I hit on that on Sunday. Is that this is this actually should not be used like a rote prayer that we just repeat. Mm-hmm. And of course, there are times there are times where we can actually use this prayer verbatim, wholeheartedly understanding what we mean and profitably pray it. But that wasn't the intention of Christ when He gave it to us. And a lot, of, you know, many people have actually considered the Lord's Prayer to actually be John 17 when the Lord himself is praying mm-hmm. that prayer for us in communing with the Father before his arrest. And then they call this the disciples' prayer because this is the prayer he taught us to pray but didn't himself pray. Because like when you get down to forgive us our debts, Christ can't pray that. Yeah, He has no sins to have forgiven. Yeah. We do. 
And so um, what he's doing is he's giving us um, categories of prayer, things to be praying in the stream of. And that's what each of those petitions are. Okay. So when we pray like the traditional acts format, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, petition, those are categories that we find here in the Lord's Prayer. Okay. So that's what's going on. And so rather than uh, driving us away from extemporaneous prayer, which is, you know, prayer that we haven't pre-written, mm-hmm. any prayer that we're praying from our heart that's not pre-written is extemporaneous prayer. This actually frees us up to do that in uh, the most helpful way, yeah. I think. Yeah. So... Um... No, I know. I know you and some of the other liturgists on Sunday mornings will will write out prayers yeah. um, for you know the opening prayer, the closing prayer, whatever it may be. Um, and then there's other times where you don't write those prayers out. Uh, how how does those two ways of praying? Um, I guess I guess more or less the times when you write out prayers. Um, does it does it feel rote? Does it feel like kind of a Lord's Lord's prayer, just going through the words and, and doing that? Or I mean, I guess how how do you think through that when you're leading liturgy and you're you have a written out prayer and you're praying that out for the people? Yeah, I, well, it, the reason you do it is really a big. Um, it's a big factor. So, ideally, um, a written out prayer is going to be a prayer that's authentic, that's intentional, where you've thought carefully about what you want to say, because you realize that public prayer prays and teaches. Mm-hmm. People, God's people are learning how to pray as they're hearing their leaders pray. When we pray through categories, like pray for missionaries, pray for um, the people in our church who are going through various struggles, you don't want to forget certain things. So you pre-write them out. Sure. Sometimes I do a hybrid where I'm writing out prayer headings so that I remember to pray for certain categories of things, certain types of people. Yeah. Then pray those prayers without having pre-written them. Yeah. Some liturgists always pre-write all their prayers, and that can be very helpful. Uh, the question is, what's the heart behind it? And with the ones who do that, I know, I know their hearts as much as I can know an, another person's heart, just simply because I know them. Yeah. And it is the best possible motive, which is to not be distracting. It's mm-hmm. to be truly helpful, to be, to be thoughtful. God hears you when you write your prayer beforehand, and he hears you when you pray it in the, in the moment. Mm-hmm. So there, it just depends on kind of what's going on, sure. I think, sure. with wisdom. So... So in the Lord's Prayer, we we can actually use them use um, these different petitions that are made throughout as a form of or as a form of similar to to the Acts format, right? Mm-hmm. So when He prays, "Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Thy name," that helps us to focus on adoration, adoration, yeah, and then so on and so forth. And Luther taught in his he taught his barber in that famous little book, "A Simple Way to Pray." He taught his barber to use the petitions of the Lord's Prayer to prompt extemporaneous prayer. Because hmm. his barber was struggling with prayer, as every Christian does at some point or other, and said, pray our Father in heaven and recall 
your adoption and what it cost the father to have you as his son, the blood of his son. Mm-hmm. And that stirs you up to thank him and praise his name because he's such a gracious and benevolent God that he gives you what you need. And so you can, you know, those are the kinds of things that we can do with the Lord's Prayer. Hmm. And it brings all sorts of wonderful thoughts about God from Scripture to our hearts and minds. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I know we're kind of going off of off of these questions, but when when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount... Uh, and he's teaching his disciples how to pray this. How far into his ministry is he? I think it's about 18 months. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's not just like Jesus is on the it's not scene. Right and... out, it's not right out of the shoot. You know, Matthew's not writing um, in a strictly chronological order. Okay. So it's not like, oh, you know, he was baptized and tempted and then walked up on a hill and gave the Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is a generous amount into his ministry. Okay. And so obviously when when Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, when you pray like this, say, our Father in heaven, um, I'm sure this, some of the Pharisees would have been sitting there not too pleased with what was coming out of Jesus' mouth. Yeah, and I'm not sure how many Pharisees were actually there that day. Really? There were a lot of disciples Okay, up there. Um, let me go real quick to Matthew 6, um, Matthew 5. Because he was by, he w- he was on what is called the Mount of Beatitudes, which is around the Sea of Galilee. So he's up north. He went up on the mountainside, seeing the crowds. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So he had been, you know, he'd been ministering to great crowds. It says at the end of chapter four, from Galilee and the Decapolis, so the ten cities, and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So I mean, yeah, I mean, there may have been for sure some sure. Pharisees among them. Sure. Because Pharisees weren't just in Jerusalem. Right. Yeah. And but, I'm sure this this really would have challenged them because if they were there, try this one on for size. Um, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not see the kingdom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I guess I guess my question is is this this idea was contrary to what most Jews believed back then of of praying to our Father, right? Is that correct, or is that um, not fu- not fully? Okay. Because God presents Himself to Israel as Israel's Father okay. in the Old Testament. You think of Hosea. Matthew quotes Hosea eleven, and what does Hosea say? He says, "Out of Israel I called my son." Yeah. And so Israel had a category, Jews had a category for God as Father. Okay. What Jesus is doing is he's he's making this very intimate, yeah. this very intimate relationship, and he's teaching them how to pray in a way that's going to cultivate that relationship. Ultimately, it's going to be through Christ, and it's not going to be babbling or self-centered, mm-hmm. which is what so much prayer had become. Sure, sure. Well, I know, Rick, in my in my spiritual walk, I can approach the father like the prodigal son, you know, where I'm eating with the pigs and I come to my senses. (laughs) 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 And uh, I come to my senses and um, 
you know, I'm going to approach the father, but I, I approach him in, in cowering fear. I know, mm. I know what I'm to expect or what's to be expected. And so I, I come with fear and trepidation. Um, how does the Lord's prayer help us in this way of thinking? Like when we, when we pray to the father, are we, are we approaching him in, in fear and trepidation saying, you know, if I can just be a slave, I'll be a slave. Uh, or is there a different way that we can approach the father? There's a different way. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And that, and right out of the, right out of the opening of the Lord's prayer, Jesus tells us that by teaching us to approach God as Father. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we we sin. We mess up, all of us do, regularly, which is why right there in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Mm-hmm. So it's to be expected. It's actually kind of written in the code. Yeah. This is to be expected. We will be coming to the Father confessing our sins. Yeah. But the fact that we come to Him as Father, and that's to be expected that we will have sins with us to confess means that he's already known that and received us through his son before we've even opened our mouth. Sure. And so that tells us that we like, you know, when your kids screw up and Charlie comes to you, I would, I would guess that in his, he's five. Yeah. And in his five-year-old brain, in all of those five years, he has never once thought this might be the time I say, Hey dad, and he says, get out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's not getting, he's going to bed at night in yeah. his home yeah. with his parents who are going to tuck him in. Yeah. And he knows he sins and he confesses it to you. You discipline him for it and you hug him. It's God's, as sons, we're not getting kicked out. Hmm. We cannot. Hmm. And God knew that. And when he, before we ever, ever had the right to call him father. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When you adopt a kid, you don't know exactly how it's going to go. You don't know what trauma is in their past necessarily. You don't know whether or not it's going to end in heartbreak, as many adoptions do. With the father, he knew. He knew all of it before he even chose, or before he even called us and made us sons. So, yeah, we don't need to be terrified. Hmm. We need to have the fear of the Lord which is the beginning of the wisdom, knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And that has nothing to do with moving us to be terrified that we will be receiving judgment on the sins that were already judged. Sure. Sure. Yeah. That's, that's so awesome, right? Like I know we talk about that and and we know these things theologically. Um, but to actually think upon those things and, and to remind ourselves of that, of um, how much the Father loves us. Mm-hmm. Compared to compared yes. to other, other religions in the sense of like, if you do screw up, then there's either purgatory where you're going to have to spend a lot of time for your sins. <laughs> right. um, or you have to do so much work in order to earn that favor back. Yeah. And that's just like, if, if I had a father that treated me that way, I would want nothing to do with them. Yeah, that would not cultivate love. Yeah. So, yeah, what an awesome, awesome reminder. Augustine was considering the nature of sin. Like, what happened in the garden? I was just reading this today in a book that our guys are reading in our small group for Timothy Group, uh, Delighting in the Trinity. 
and it was talking about how God is Trinity changes how we understand what happened in the garden, because ultimately it wasn't that Adam and Eve disobeyed and were bad, though that did happen. Mm-hmm. It was ultimately, and this goes back to how Augustine understood the implications of the Trinity for what are, you know, what is happening when we sin. It's that we have loved something more than God mm-hmm. and loved ourselves more than God mm-hmm. because it's because God, um, his creating is an outpouring of his love for his son going public. Hmm. And so the whole thing is relational, including how we exist as the image of God, male and female. And it's within that relational context, God walking with Adam in the cool of the day, having fellowship with him, Mm -hmm. that he and Eve choose something different Hmm. and they call it better. Hmm. And so at the, at the at the core, it wasn't just bad behavior, it was broken love. Huh. And the Father responds in restoring love. For God so loved the world that he yeah. gave his son. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yep, all has to do with that he's Trinity. He's Trinity. Mm-hmm. He's Trinity. Yeah. I guess in in similar uh, vein, I, when we go through tough times, not just not just when we sin, but when we go through hardships and trials and suffering and pain, uh, I think it can be easy for us to um, trust that the Father actually loves us and that yeah. He's actually good. Um, how how do we get beyond this thinking uh, in regards to that, like? when we go through hardship, pain, suffering, trials, the hardships of life, how do we get beyond the idea that God is not not bad, but he's actually good and he uses that for for our good? Ooh, that's uncomfortable uh, because I know that for me personally, when I'm um, most, fe- when I'm feeling most intimately connected with the Father, um, it's, it's not when there's a string of suffering. Mm. Um, so my own temptation and my own weakness is to go that direction with it is to think that it, not that he doesn't love me, but that things are not going the way they should be. Mm. Um, and, and I know that the only way to combat that, you know, at, at the root is to take those wrong thoughts captive. Mm. To scriptural thoughts. And so we've got a lot of, like James, count, it, count yourself blessed when you go through many trials for God is perfecting in you his, his work. Yeah. Um, we look at Job, and Job never, you know, it wasn't because the Father didn't love him. The Father loved him immensely. You know, he, he esteemed Job, yeah. and yet Job suffered and never knew why. And so it's a natural question to ask, why? You know, why, God? When you take your kids to the dentist for, um, you know, to get a cavity. Well, they do a really good job with cavities these days. Well, you take them to the doctor for a shot. They, they don't, and you do it because you love them, um, presumably. <laughs> it's, they don't look up at you at that moment and, and think, this really shows me how much my mom and dad love me. Yeah. They trust in your love in, you know, in spite of what's going on, but because they, 
that's underneath it. But it's not because at that moment it's being cultivated. So I don't know. I think the most helpful way is to get back to the scriptures that talk about um, what God's doing through suffering. Sure. I think it's really easy to have an imbalance, though, um, and that can be very spiritually harmful to people when we respond to the American gospel of prosperity and blessing, um, you know, material blessing and everything's happy with a smile on your face blessing. Um, when we respond to that false gospel with an over-focus on suffering. Sure. You know, and so if we make God out to be a God who gives us suffering because he loves us so much, it can actually have a pretty demented effect on somebody's soul. Yeah. I've seen it happen. We need to present God as scripture presents him. He uses those things, he he ordains those things, and he does it in love. But he's not sitting there because he's out to get you. Right. You know? Right. Uh, he's the father of lights from whom every good and perfect gift comes. Yeah. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. And we we pray things like, give us this day our daily bread. That's a prayer for provision. The suffering of not having provision, that would make you more Christ-like, mm. Right. Um, physical affliction will make you more Christ-like. And yet, 3 John 2, the apostle says to Gaius, um, I pray that it would go well with your body as it goes well with your soul. So we need to keep a really biblical perspective on these things and realize that suffering is not in and of itself good. And yet God, in his love, uses it to form us into the children that he has called us to be and promises Mm. that we Mm. will be. But he's not there wondering what bad thing he's going to send your way next, mm-hmm. because boy, doesn't he love you so much, mm-hmm. you know? And I just really think we need to, we really need to see how does the scriptures describe our God yeah, and stick to the text. Yeah. Because going off the rails one way or another, however good the, uh, the intention, um, it can be harmful. Sure. So I guess how do you find that? How do you find that main line there? How do you find the straight and narrow w- without going to the two extremes? Um, I the Texas receptus probably would help. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Can I punt that question? That's yeah. I'm not exactly sure. Sure. I think we just study like what's okay. What is what's emphasized in the doxologies? In you know at the beginning of Ephesians, or when Paul is extolling the Father in sure. Romans eleven, sure, um, Revelation four, you know. So, it's the the character of God that helps us understand suffering, and what He's doing through it. Yeah. Um, but when we go off the rails, it's is if could, somebody could listen to us talking about suffering and then come away thinking, boy, God really delights in suffering. That would be maybe an indicator that we've gone off the rails a little bit. Mm -hmm. But what I see is in the midst of all the suffering, I see, behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called children of God. Mm -hmm. You know, and so we, we see the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, emphasized through all of it. And that's where we place the emphasis. Yeah. And it helps us prepare for the stuff that challenges those truths in our sinful human flesh and tempts us to wrong thoughts. But when we're so undergirded with the character of our good God, um, and we realize always returning to the gospel that we have no right to anything, so that all the blessings that come to us prompt us to spontaneous thanksgiving 
because they're all of us, all of it from grace. Hmm. That's a, that's a pretty safe place to be. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. I, I, I think you nailed that on the head. You didn't need to pun it. You just nailed it. Oh, well, thanks be to God. I mean that. <laughs> Good. Now I don't have to come on again. Yeah. Oh, it's a blessing. <laughs> um. <laughs> oh, well, Rick, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate you being here and, and uh, your sermon on Sunday. Thank you. Uh, it's good. And I'm excited to get deeper into uh, the Lord's Prayer. When is the next time you preach? I have no idea. <laughs> That may have been your last one last week. Uh, I have no idea. Um, oh, no, it's been great. It's been great. Well, church, uh, we hope that this has been an encouraging encouragement to you. Uh, we look forward to being with you this coming Sunday and next week on The Voice of the Valley. Have a great day. <laughs>